0: The second movement is a violent reaction to the tragic nature of human destiny expressed in the first movement. Such a reaction was already anticipated in the trio of that movement. Thus, the first two movements are connected by the tragedy of human mortality. Having briefly expressed his anger at the injustice of humankind's relentless suffering in the first movement, Mahler gives full vent to his rage in the second. Thematic and motivic references to the first movement make the connection between these two movements explicit. In neither the first nor the third symphony, where Mahler also joined movements into parts, were the conjunctions between movements as overt as here. One might even consider the second movement to be a continuation of the first, approaching its mournful subject from a different perspective. An outburst of blistering rage bursts forth at the opening of the movement, fuming with anger the opening section strikes out against the tragedy of the first movement, only to give way to the mournful strains of its funeral march theme. Despite such a violent reaction that turns upon itself by recalling that which precipitated it, the music still manages to find enough strength and courage to seek a relief from the suffering it reacts to, as it builds sequentially toward fulfillment. A prophetic glimpse of ultimate victory over death is short-lived, as diminished seventh chords dash all hope for deliverance from the tortures of fear and trembling and the raging fury of the opening section returns unabated. But just before the final coda, a grandiose vision of the heavenly heights, bathed in Brucknerian splendor, provides a fleeting glimpse of long-sought-after redemption. This so-called grand chorale will return in the finale as an apotheosis, that reveals what has by then already been achieved, an understanding that life may be redeemed through love. The unexpected appearance of the grand chorale in the second movement, while a portent of its recurrence in the finale, does not offer lasting consolation. For this to happen, the sufferer must confront life's negative side, understand its significance, and overcome his antagonism to it that threatens to devolve into nihilism. At this juncture, he is far from achieving self-induced redemption. The contrast between frenetic rage and soulful lamentation that gives way to a brief but brilliant ray of hope evokes the pathos of human life most profoundly. Alma Mahler apparently criticized Gustav for being too Brucknerian in presenting the Grand corral as an all-too-obvious deus ex machina, even if it fails to succeed in completely dispelling the raging anger of the opening section. Although Mahler may have accepted his wife's suggestions in other respects, he refused to eliminate the Grand Chorale. Its importance as a harbinger of ultimate triumph over death is too essential to the dramatic import of the symphony to risk toning it down or doing away with it altogether. The second movement begins with a five-note arching figure thrust out rapidly by bass strings and cut off by a thrusting stroke. The upward arching figure keeps repeating as if trying to inflict a wound. This arching figure appeared in the principal theme of the first Gazellen song and will return in the burlesque movement of the Ninth Symphony. Another important motive consists of three notes, the first of which leaps up by an octave or super octave, usually a ninth, and then resolves by a falling second, usually a minor second, thus relating it to the motive of woe. This cellular figure also opens the first trio of the first movement, which is sourced in an extension of the funeral march theme itself, where it sounded more temperate by reason of its shorter rising interval, a sixth, and slightly falling whole-step resolution. Here, this figure sounds like a cry of distress because of its widened upper leap. It also relates to the cry of distress sounded in the finales of both the first and second symphony. This three-note motive will recur many times in later works, such as Das Lied von der Erde and the Ninth Symphony, and will appear in the final measures of the tenth. The fury of the opening section, the A section, is energized by increasingly extended torrents of eighth-note figuration in the strings, and by intermittent sputters of chromatically descending triplets and machine-gun-like repeated eighths in winds. Similar triplets appeared as flashes of lightning during the storm music of the first symphony's finale. Both of these movements have the same opening tempo marking, stürmisch bewegt, stormily agitated, and follow funeral march movements. Paroxysms of violent rage immediately engulf the music as the movement begins. The arch-like figure played in the bass, we'll call motive A, is punctuated by lashing strokes of diminished sevenths that sound like knife thrusts against a rapid-fire volley of eighth notes sputtered out by trumpets. The leaping three-note motive B, with its falling minor second of woe, is called by Becker die Leisen Schmerzenlaute, a faint, loud cry of pain. Then strings begin a rampage of eighth-note figuration. A descending, dotted rhythmic phrase from the trumpet fanfare of the first movement invades the music, and an extended version of the heroic theme from the finale of the first symphony rings out in horns. Fragments of the string theme are wildly blurted out in trumpets against rising triplets and a barrage of sixteenths that rip through the musical fabric, while insistent cries of the Schmerz motive, motive B, beg for relief from the terrible anguish expressed here. Suddenly the furious eighth-note figuration is cut off by a slashing offbeat stroke. Here is the entire opening section in which all the motives just mentioned appear. This sudden stroke that cuts off the raging string figuration gives way to waves of arpeggiation and dotted rhythms that thrust forward into a new theme in the violins. Three times the violins try to raise themselves into the theme on rising minor seconds. Finally, they succeed and the second subject emerges. Composed primarily of a falling turn figure and a diminutive version of the cry of distress motive B answered by rising and falling seconds in the horns. The second subject contrasts markedly with the first, despite the former's retaining some of the latter's surging fury, mostly in brief swells into the second beat on the horns. As the main theme of the second subject develops, it becomes more intense, showing signs of devolving back into the first subject. The trumpet declaims a variation of the fanfare from the first movement. Soon the violent first subject returns, telescoped into the second subject, so that one hardly notices that it has infested the music with its maniacal rage. Motive A juts out furiously in the horns against the fanfare-like trumpet figure heard earlier, and the raging string figuration re-enters as the tempo presses forward. A rising seventh upbeat on a dotted rhythm is added to the first subject string theme for greater force and intensity. Syncopated rapier thrusts on the trombone punctuate the string's rapid figuration until it runs headlong into a huge A minor chord with trumpets restating the opening notes of the theme. A wild flurry of chromatically descending eighths erupts from the woodwinds and converges with the overlapping fragments of the first subject string figuration, under which we hear cries of the Schmerz motive, motive B, that can be heard faintly in the strings. The woodwind figuration peters out until it stops abruptly, leaving only a barely audible timpani roll, Mahler frequently ends his scherzo movements or sections within them by gradually winding down rapid figuration that energizes them or fragmenting their thematic or motivic material until the music comes to a dead stop, as here. For the moment, the raging anger of the A section is spent, leaving only intermittent cries of distress on the Schmerz motive B and darting repeated eighths in woodwinds. As the tonality shifts to F minor, the tempo slackens until that of the Trower Marsh from the first movement begins. Softly, the cellos sing the lament from the second part of, of the first movement's funeral march theme, with motive B and the darting repeated eighths circling around it as if waiting for another opportunity to pounce on their prey. Of course, Mahler has varied the theme slightly, making it seem broader by expanding sustained tones and curiously emphasizing its little bohemian dance step figure by widening its rising interval to a sixth and adding an upward turn phrase. Clarinets enter on a counter theme that is actually an extension of the funeral march theme interweaving with the cello's similar extension. Soon, first violins develop the theme within a fascinating network of string polyphony. Although somber and plaintive, There is a touch of consolation in the music that somehow soothes the pain caused by the violent eruption of anger. Motive B becomes integrated into the theme as it climbs higher, despite a downward pull exerted by intermittent measures of descending chromatics that reach a plateau on the falling minor second of woe, a momentary release from pain. As in the first movement, the song of lament gives way to the rising theme of hope in violins, after which we hear cries of distress painfully asserted by violins and flutes, Various themes that end with falling seconds that hang in midair symbolize unresolved sorrow. Throughout this entire section, a variant of the first movement's fate motto haunts the musical background. Soon horns hint at the return of the furious first subject, and cellos seem to be drawn reluctantly in the same direction. They grope as if in the dark on a rising phrase that ends on a tortured dominant seventh chord in the brass aborting the music's valiant efforts to find relief from suffering, and suddenly bringing back the raging anger of the opening. Introduced by the rapid waves of chromatic eighths in the woodwinds that ended the previous A section, this stormy music returns with unabated fury. Violins play the trumpet fanfare against motive A, punctuated by a conflation of the fanfare's rising and falling minor thirds, brutally pounded out on the timpani. After a solo trumpet adds its voice, trying to extend the tempestuous fanfare theme, an augmented version appears in second violins against fragments of the original theme in woodwinds and cellos in high register. In this abbreviated version of the A section, the polyphonic texture has thinned out somewhat, replaced by string tremolos. The strings carry the fanfare theme higher and higher against an echo in trombones, until achieving a powerful climax on an augmented version of the Schmerz motive B that emphasizes the falling minor second of woe. His abridged A section concludes as before, with the woodwinds racing forward wildly on the rapid figuration of the main theme, until their anger is spent once again, and the music peters out to a hushed timpani roll, sustained twice as long as before. As the B section returns, now in E-flat minor and in a slow tempo, the cellos linger on an elongated version of the Schmerz motive. For twenty measures, with only the continued timpani roll and later a soft, sustained G-flat and violas for accompaniment, the cellos extend this motive on elements from the Funeral March theme into one of Mahler's most touching passages. Its quasi-arioso style foreshadows the opening of the Tenth Symphony, The dolorous funeral march theme returns on two horns in octaves against the same rapid-fire repeating eighths that previously accompanied it. But the Schmertz motive, motive B, no longer rises only to fall by a minor second. Instead, its second interval is reversed, transforming a woeful sigh into a yearning for peace. Other signs of hope appear as the Funeral March theme is juxtaposed against the rising theme overlapping in strings and horns. Both themes include the motive of woe at their high point, one seeking relief from suffering, the other reinforcing it. This two-note motive links the two themes together in tragedy. As a clarinet and bassoon continue on the Funeral March theme, low strings suddenly but softly hint at the trumpet fanfare theme from the A section, echoed by muted horns on repeated thirds. Woodwinds and violins continue to press the funeral march theme forward, again trying to reach the hoped redemption. At the same time, fragments of the A section's violin string figuration enter in low strings and begin to grow, infesting the music almost undetectably with their poisonous wrath. Strings reach upward as at the conclusion of the first B section, despite mounting anger on references of the A section that become increasingly prominent in the brass. Once again, all efforts to find a redeeming light are dashed. On the grace-noted turn phrase from the funeral march theme, another diminished seventh chord abruptly and mercilessly aborts further progress and the violence of the A section returns. Musically, it is one of Mahler's most brilliantly conceived transition passages for the cunning way in which fragments of the A section gradually force their way in to that section's reprise. Conceptually, it is further evidence that a reconciliation between hope and despondency is unachievable at this stage. Utilizing the telescoping technique to merge sections together, the A section's first subject re-enters before the B section reaches its end, interrupting it in the middle of its principal theme. After a single measure of motive A in low strings, the violins assert the A section's main theme, echoed by a solo trombone and then trumpet. That motive combines with an augmented version of the Schmerz motive B to urge the music forward, as if pleading it not to dwell too long in this ugly mood. Both motives are successful in diverting the music from its violent course. On one leap of a super octave on the Schmerz motive, the music suddenly stops in mid-measure. The tempo slows down, and the trower march theme returns in B major, continuing where it left off before the angry first subject interrupted. Mahler's abrupt alternations between the A and B sections create a stream-of-consciousness effect in which confusion caused by conflicting emotions of anger and sorrow becomes virtually unbearable, even bordering on the edge of insanity. As an indication that the Schmerz motive has not succeeded in overcoming the A section's violent anger, that motive becomes part of the funeral march theme, still steeped in sorrow. On wide leaps it swells to a sforzando as if to emphasize its frustration in being unable to relieve the torment of the first subject. Once again the funeral march theme ascends on an augmented version of the Schmerz motive in an effort to overcome the pain expressed by this motive. Suddenly, the pace quickens, the tonality shifts to A flat major, and the music becomes more strident and assertive. The A section's trumpet fanfare now returns and combines in canonic treatment with an uncharacteristically demonstrative rendition of elements from the Trower March theme. What was a dolorous funeral procession now becomes a stalwart military march that recalls the strength and self-assurance of Revelga, As the music presses forward, it continues to ascend, this time on a variant of the Schmerz motive that incorporates the clipped dotted rhythm of motive Z from the first movement. The music becomes more unbalanced as it rises, with accents shifting from strong to weak beats. Just when a redemptive climax seems within reach, the Schmerz motive wells up again on a super octave leap, stretching its resolution from a minor to a major interval. Brass resound with an augmented version of the trumpet fanfare from the A section, now bright and heroic, as it seems to herald the dawning of a new day. Timpani energetically pound out a volley of eighths on the fourth interval against ascending string arpeggios that usher in an augmented version of the motive Z rhythm, which had been urging the music forward toward its long-awaited goal. But once more a diminished seventh chord in mid-measure dashes all hope of resolution as it brings back the angry music of the A section, now more furious than ever. It flails out the Schmerz motive rapidly in successive repetitions. But the glimpse of a redeeming vision just witnessed is not completely destroyed. It must await its proper time when anger and mourning have truly spent themselves and have been fully absorbed into consciousness so that they can play a positive role in the process of human development. Repeated yelps of the Schmerz motive beg for mercy, while slashing diminished seventh chords send a torrent of staccato descending chromatic scales from trumpets against rapid-fire repeating eighths in woodwinds. The wild string figuration and trumpet fanfare from the first subject vent their wrath with renewed vigor. As the music reaches a fever pitch, it is cut short, as before, by a slashing stroke at the end of the bar. At this point, we might expect the reprise of the doleful second subject of the A section, following a few vamp-like measures of string arpeggios and cries of the Schmerz motive set against riveting volleys of the fate motive. Instead, the Trower March theme unexpectedly returns, stretching out its plaintive melody over these motivic figures with greater emphasis. As this theme develops, the hopeful rising theme enters over it in the horns, extending into the motive of longing. That soon becomes part of the theme itself, Before it does, the Schmerz motive is added to the theme in violins. A subtle reference to the trumpet fanfare of the A section's first subject appears in the cellos and is immediately taken up by the violins, whose more lyrical version is set against the incessant knocking of fate in the trumpets. Relentlessly, the longing motive builds against the pleading cries of the Schmerz motive. Yet the wild fury of the A section's first subject will not be denied. Not only does it reassert itself with terrifying force, stretching out its eighth note figuration into quarter note triplets for emphasis, but it ushers in music to which it is most related in temperament, the first trio from the opening movement. It should be noticed that the return of this parallel strain from the previous movement begins with an augmented version of the Schmerz motive, highlighting the relationship between the first subject of the A section and its counterpart in the first movement's trio section. When the key changes to E minor, the rising theme makes an effort to recover from its renewed violence and appears to succeed. Throughout this unnerving struggle between raging anger and yearning for consolation, both the fate motto and the Schmerz motive remain in the background as constant reminders of what is at stake in this ever-shifting conflict. Once again, the violin's lament begins to rise higher, though hesitatingly at first, Then it suddenly springs up on a super octave leap and presses forward urgently as if risking everything on one last effort. Offbeat accents jab at falling chromatics that follow this death defying upward leap until the music shatters and falls in utter defeat. A fanfare like pronouncement in the brass on the first few notes of the anger theme with its painful descending chromatics plunges the music into the depths of grief. at fulfillment seem to have led only to total collapse. This climactic passage is one of the most painful in all of Mahler's music. Its dark tones and broad-lined elongation of the A section's second subject is almost too much to bear. Yet the anger theme tries to rise out of the abyss, asserting its impulsive first measure repeatedly against the morose March theme in violins. A winding figure in woodwinds adds impulse to an heroic effort to gather enough strength for another attempt at resolving the conflict. As the pace increases, the anger theme seems to have been enlisted in the forces seeking relief from that which it had helped to engender. In combination with the funeral march theme and the Schmerz motive, it is joined by the trumpet tattoo theme. All climb higher with renewed energy, as if undaunted by past failures. Two thrusts of the Schmerz motive on super-octave leaps in woodwinds and strings carried on the shoulders of motive A in string basses and the trumpet fanfare in horns lead to a broad extension of that motive asserted by trumpets and trombones in a resilient D major, heralding a glorious redemption. An intervallic leap of an octave rather than a ninth and the descent of a whole step rather than a half gives the Schmerz motive a brighter and more confident character. Instead of a cry of despair, it summons victory. The frenetic string figuration now sublates into arpeggios and alternating ascending and descending scales to accompany a dynamic brass chorale. A sense of urgency impels the music onward, stirred by waves of rising string figuration. We have arrived at long last... To the glorious vision of redemption, whose coming had been foretold earlier in this movement, the music bursts forth on waves of string arpeggios and scalar figuration, reinforced by the harp. Now the grand chorale can truly emerge, resounding in all its glory in the resilient tones of a full brass choir. Brass extend the grand chorale on an heroic phrase that begins with the ascending stepwise upbeat of the motive of longing and continues on a series of three-chordal couplets, the last two of which fall by a fourth, a subtle evocation of the heroic theme from the finale of the first symphony. A volley of accelerating triplets on the trumpets propels the music forward, urging on the glorious chorale. The Schmerz motive, no longer falling by the minor second of woe, again reaches to the heights, its former sorrowful character completely dispelled by the glorious music that surrounds it. It attains complete transformation as a thunderous volley of triplets ushers in a climactic D major chord. So as to leave no doubt that this chord represents the climax, not only of this movement, but also of part one, Mahler designates this chord as the high point, the Höhepunkt. A magnificent feeling of fulfillment and release overwhelms the music. Let's listen to the entire section to get the full impact of this magnificent moment. With this grand corral, relief from suffering seems to have been realized. But it does not last long. Its appearance is but a glimpse of promised redemption yet to be achieved. The music subsides gradually as this grand vision fades away. Then, as if awaiting an opportunity to reassert itself, motive A enters cautiously and in fragments scattered among strings and brass, but gradually spreading out like a plague, woodwinds suddenly release a welter of descending chromatic triplets that bring back the original version of the Schmerz motive in the violins, asserted with increasing strength. The trumpet fanfare theme also returns. There can be no doubt that the enraged music of the A section still has some life left in it, despite its having been expelled for a time by the monumental Grand corral. A smattering of repeated descending triplets seems to mock this redemptive vision, as if it were an illusion. Although the violence of the A section seems somewhat tempered now, there can be little doubt that its rage still smolders in the wake of the Grand Chorale. As this turbulent music builds to a climax, it becomes more strident on slashing strokes in brass and strings propelled upward on a rising scale into a clip-dotted rhythmic figure. The anger theme firmly demonstrates its renewed vigor and unattenuated power. It builds to a powerful climax on fierce dotted rhythms leading to an overwhelming orchestral outburst on a weak beat out of which the rapid string figuration of the first subject attempts to reassert itself. Yet the first subject's string figuration seems unable to manage but a few bars until it becomes fragmented, evidencing degeneration. The tempo eases up as well as only little scraps of the first subject sputter out in the strings given an impish quality by grace note filigree. A muted trumpet haltingly plays a segment of the fanfare theme that diminishes as it ushers in the coda. One should be left with no doubt that the miraculous appearance of the Grand corral has had an impact upon the fierceness of the first subject's anger, but has not completely annihilated it. In veiled sonorities, generated by repeating low flagellate triplets in the upper strings, sprinkled with isolated staccato notes in woodwinds and harp the anger theme slowly trudges on in low strings, completely exhausted from its rampage. The Schmerz motive, with glimmerings of the fate motto, and the opening fragment of the first subject, all haunt the final measures. Seriously weakened by what it has undergone during this movement, the vehement music of the first subject seems completely debilitated. It leaves us to wonder whether the conflict has been resolved. Only three bass notes slowly descend to a full cadence at the very end of the movement. The last of these plodding low tones sounds on the timpani like a half-hearted thud. But the coda gives no reassurance that the destructive forces might not reassert themselves in the future. If the meaning of the coda is that they have been tamed and even partially integrated into the self, other negative aspects await to be confronted before the goal of worldly redemption from suffering can be achieved.